Check, check, check. One, two, one, two. What's up, everybody? This is Live and Direct. This is your host, Craddy. Today, I talked to Mado, a new producer out of Los Angeles. He just put out an EP on Fool's Gold called New Wave. He has a really interesting take on the whole EDM scene. He's motivated, he's a driven guy, and he's all about making music that makes people think as well as dance. So check it out, Mado on Live and Direct. Hello. Hi. Hey, Andrew, how you doing? It's crazy. Oh, how's it going? Hey, nice to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, I checked out your uh, your new EP, New Wave. Um, yeah, it's really interesting sort of mix of genres. I saw some people writing about it as a mix between hip hop and I think like house music or something like that. But I don't know. I thought it went way beyond just those two genres. Oh yeah, I agree. I never even give credence anymore to when people talk about genres because most of the time it's so just hit or miss. Like I don't even know what it means really. Yeah, do you think genres make a difference anymore in the EDM world these days? I mean, it's like there's a reason they exist because they work and like a lot of music like falls in those uh, like qualifiers. But I feel like it's, I don't know, EDM's getting so... Uh, stagnant and why do you it, think it's getting stagnant so i think people are just going to try to get a reaction that they can trust to like putting forth stuff that they already know gets a result versus kind of trying to break new sounds and new music right and i don't know it comes off kind of lazy to me and i'm just not really interested in any of that so i'm kind of find myself getting away from like brighter dance music as a whole in like newer productions yeah, like, uh, you mean newer productions of your own or newer productions of other people? Oh, uh, newer productions of my own. Like, um, the new AVP was kind of a take on reinventing the pop dance and trying to make something that was newer, like, in the mainstream sound. But I think that was fun to do, but I'm kind of tired of, I don't know, trying to, like, appeal to people, really. You know, I just want to, like, do the dopest stuff I can think of. Sure, isn't that always the seesaw, though? Appealing to people and doing what you want to do, right? Yeah, yeah, it's tricky. I think I'm just going to veer real hard on the other side, though, these days. Well, I'm on the side of just doing whatever the hell you want? Yeah, yeah. So you yeah, think just... the next thing you do would sound totally different than the EP you just put out? Oh, yeah, I'm already... That EP was, like, probably a year old. Like, I've already got three more, and they're way different. How are they different? Uh, it's a lot more minimal, a lot darker, trying to like, use less things, really. It's just being more fundamental in my composition. So I'm trying to like, reach for a more mature sound and um, do something that's like a little more timeless. And, I, and not that to say that I don't think the way things turned out on New Wave wasn't that. I'm just trying to just get better, really. Just refining your sound. Yeah, yeah. Or like building on it. So you play instruments too, right? Yeah, yeah. I started getting into electronic music uh, via guitar. Right. And so do you play uh, guitar uh, on your tracks? No, I. it would be fun, but I haven't really found a use for it, like in kind of what I'm doing now. Uh, like I kind of like, there was like a point where I was doing them really like equitably, and then it started just leaning more and more electronic. And now I'm using my voice uh, more really than any other instrument. How do you do that? 
Um, just by singing, uh, it's been cool kind of like finding a, a vocal style. I feel like it's like when you find your production style and there's like so many different derivations and ways you can like modify it and experiment. It's really the same process all over again. It's like learning like a new instrument. So that's been a lot of fun. That's cool. That's cool. Did you ever take singing lessons or do anything like that? Nah, I never really took lessons for music. Like, I, it's probably advisable. Like, I, I could see why you'd want to, but I just figured I'd rather just do, like, do me and, like, find myself as an artist completely on my own. Like, I feel more pure that way. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that's the way you got into things. Like, you were playing guitar, you were in a band with a friend, right? And you guys just yes, yeah. kind of uh, would go, like, rock out in the basement. So, yeah, yeah. And then you started doing electronic music stuff because uh, something happened with the band. What was it? Oh, yeah. We were just playing at his dad's house. And oh, yeah. His dad yelled at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so. I love that story. That's so funny. So his dad yells at you and is like, shut down the goddamn racket kind of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, like, he's just going in on the drums. And, like, that was when we were really into, like, metal and stuff. So it was just really hard <laughs> and super loud and definitely was not okay for, like, 10, 11 at night, whenever. <laughs> so then you sit down, you have Ableton on your computer, what you're recording on or something? Oh, uh, no, that was way, that was like the garage band days. Like, oh, literally knew nothing about production at all. Like, was able to, like, pull out, like, guitar presets they had in there, and that was really it. So did you sit down right then and there and start writing some kind of electronic beats inside of uh, GarageBand? Yeah, yeah, we were, like, writing, like, all these arpeggios and stuff that I... I'm just, like, trying to, like, write, like, really crazy stuff that I could, like, never replicate on guitar. And I was like, wow, like, the, it's so crazy how, like, going into the electronic medium, like, you're not limited by, uh, like, muscle memory or, like, technical stuff. Like, if you can think it, you can, like, write it. And that's kind of what really, like, got me excited about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's the, actually, Flux Pavilion was just saying the exact same thing in the interview I did with him. That he loves writing stuff that just isn't can't could never physically be played. Yeah, yeah. There's some famous like piano composer who would do that, where he'd like write like I don't know what sonatas that would require like five hands or something. Right. That stuff's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that concept. And then with electronic music, I mean, you can bring it. You can really make it happen any way you want. Yeah, yeah. It's been so. So the band sort of just fell off once you guys discovered you know, making beats and everything? Yeah, that was right at the... I had either just graduated high school or was about to graduate high school. Mm -hmm. How so, old are you now? 23. Okay. Yeah, so, like, that was... Um, I was probably 17 then. And, like, I... So, like, right after that, I moved to Boston to uh, go to university. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that band was defunct. And I tried jamming with some people over there, but it just never really... I don't know, never really connected with anyone, right? Were you still making little beats on the computer and everything? Yeah, that was later that summer. My friend, like my roommate, uh, was kind of into beats and stuff, and he put me onto Logic. And right. That's where I've been ever since. So I definitely leveled up a lot, like over the course of that year. Yeah. And so, what was the inspiring, like the first stuff you were writing? Like, what what was the electronic music you were hearing, where where you were it was like clicking something in your head? Really, it was Dead Mouse. Like I was super obsessed with like the deeper progressive stuff. Like mm -hmm. Faxing Berlin was, this, I think, the first electronic song I heard that was that I really, really connected with. Uh huh. 
And it was funny because a little, maybe like a year later, I submitted like what I was doing on SoundCloud uh, to him when he got into that scuffle with the owner of Ultra. Oh, okay. And, like, they didn't, like they didn't let him or anybody on um, Mousetrap play at Ultra that year because like they had some choice words on Twitter or something. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so what he said was he was gonna instead come to Miami, but just like work on music there. And he was like inviting producers to come work with him, so you could like submit your SoundCloud. And I ended up like getting lucky enough to like have that opportunity. Oh, really? So was, yeah, yeah. It was real fun. So you went to Miami and just hung out, what, in a hotel room with Dead Mouse or something? Yeah, they rented out a studio. I was, um, oh wait, yeah, they rented out some studio that I ended up interning at and like working for later. Oh, right, because you lived in Miami, so that yeah, was yeah. perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it worked out real well. So you submit your stuff, you go to the studio, and you sit down with him, and ha- I mean, how did it go? Like, where, like, did you come in with music, or, or like, how did the whole thing come together? That was... Like way, I had no idea really how anything worked, like sessions or anything. I had no idea what to expect. Like they were working in Ableton, and it was kind of at the deal where there's like multiple producers in the room, and everyone's just like making suggestions. Like Steve Dudo was there, uh, Kill the Noise was there, um, Feed Me, and um, so like I would like try to like write something on my computer, and then like sends like uh, the wave for that, so they could like put it into the project, and like I. Don't think I made any super big contributions, but I remember there was like one little pluck thing that I did, and like he said it was cool, so that was I was fanboying pretty hard there. <laughs> right. You so you were like bouncing stuff down on your computer, and then you'd like email it to him, and then he'd bring it into the master session. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's pretty awesome, and you're sitting around with all these guys who you probably also admire. Yes, was obsessed with feeding me at the time. I remember. So, yeah, that must have been pretty intimidating, though. Yeah, I, I remember, like, trying to, like, rack my brain for, like, all the details on multiband compression and all this shit. Like, uh, could not, I did not, like, I remember there was, like, one kid who, like, didn't know what the threshold on a compressor was for. I think he got, like, reamed for it. So I was trying to stay on top of my game. One of the producers? Yeah, yeah, because there were four other guys there, or three guys and one girl. Yeah. And so was Dead Mouse kind of running the show, sort of uh, ringmastering? Uh, he was kind of walking from room to room. Uh, it really was Steve Duda who like made a connection with, and he was kind of running the show like where I was at. Okay. Cool. And so, and that track came out, and you have your pluck in there, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere in there. Nice, nice. So that was your first, like, that must have made you feel like, okay, I'm doing something right. Yeah, like, it, it was strange, because when I first started working on electronic music, like, it was just a hobby, and then it just got to the point where it was, like, all I did, and then, like, I started doing, like, like that kind of opportunities were starting to come up, so I was, like, really thinking about it as, like, going into it as a career. And were you DJing at this point as well? I think I had just learned, like, how to mix from A to B on Tractor or something, maybe like a month before. And so loosely DJing, like uh, getting the gist of it maybe, yeah. It, it took a year or two after that to really start doing it, like out and doing shows and the like. Right, right, to figure out the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So then how soon after that did you connect with A-Track? 
Well, so that was maybe uh, I was 19, uh-huh. and I moved out to LA when I was 22. And um, I what I think uh, I was on SoundCloud like sometime like right when I had just moved out, like maybe July or August, and I saw that he had followed me, so I tweeted about it. And then like I noticed like a couple minutes later, he followed me on Twitter, and we started like talking that summer. And he invited me to come to the day off they were having. And then I got a chance to actually meet him in person there. And he was saying how it would be cool if we uh, collaborated. And obviously, that was pretty crazy. Yeah, that's amazing, dude. You have, you have like, the best social networking meetup with your, uh, your idols stories, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really lucky for those. I don't know how it keeps happening, but just trying <laughs> to, like, stay really active and um, do whatever I can. Yeah, I mean, like, you're obviously doing something right. So so then A-Track says, let's work together. And then didn't he, you had played him a bunch of stuff, and then you were playing a bunch of new stuff, and he was kind of like, that first stuff you played me, I want to put it out. Oh, no, I kind of pushed for that. Oh, uh, okay, that <laughs> like was, I, you had already kind of imagined that was an EP that you wanted to sort of have put out as a, as a uh, you know, five, six song thing. Yeah, like when I first uh, moved out here, I I really came because of my management. Like they picked me up in maybe February of that year. And who's your management? um, Or Neil at Swush. Okay. Work with um, like Porter and the M Machine, Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Lang. Um, But he, I remember meeting him for lunch sometime in July, and I was asking like what I needed to do, like like what was like the next step. And he was saying that I should make like a five or six track EP. And I was just like, okay, like, let's go. Like, I'm going to have this done in like a month. Like, I'm just going to like hit the ground running really hard. And he, he was like, no, like, you actually need to make like 30 tracks and then like pick the best of those. Oh, so, now, like, that's I, some good advice because you were ready to get to write five tracks and give them the first five tracks you wrote. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's the only experience I ever had. Like, I never, I was really, still am really new to like the music industry and how things work in that regard. So like that was like a radical concept, like not releasing everything you do and actually really picking out the best. I still think that's a radical concept when I hear what some people are putting out. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it does seem like some people are just putting out every single thing they do, you know? Yeah, like it'd be fun. Like, cause I mean, I feel like people's expectations are pretty low in general. So like you can get lots of followers and fans. Like I always debate this because I just think like, damn, like if I have like 60 unreleased tracks right now and I dropped one every week, just like follow for download, like I could get like 100,000 SoundCloud followers like by this time next year. Like, that'd be crazy. But I mean, it's, it's like, do you want that or is it more about the brand and kind of Yeah, but what, is, what does 100,000 SoundCloud followers really get you? Like other than bragging rights, I mean... I think like the ability to like tour in like any given city, possibly, because that's really what I want to get into. Okay. Or just just to like I don't know like get I really get out there in America and like play get my feet wet on like a nationwide tour and stuff like that's like what I'm shooting for at this point. Yeah, you're playing a lot uh, around Los Angeles right now, and it seems like you've played a lot of shows around the U.S. too, right? Not a huge amount. Like, I've done some stuff back home in Miami, like, just tiny, random nights. Uh, Like, I did a couple small things in Boston when I was there. And now things are starting to pick up. Like, I, I, like, booked some stuff for, like, Chicago and Connecticut and going back to the East Coast. Um, Well, of course, like, California. I definitely... You did the Fool's Gold um, 
block party thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That must have been pretty big. Yeah, I was really excited about that. That was the first time I used CDJs at a show. How did that go over? It went well. I practiced at Guitar Center like three days in, like right before, just like staying there for like several hours a day, just really getting the hang of it. You so go like, in the Guitar Center and bring your USB sticks and just practice for hours in Guitar Center? Yeah, yeah. And they didn't, they wouldn't kick you out? Yeah, they were really cool about it for some reason. I don't know. I guess maybe, I think people do that. Maybe, I'm not really sure. <laughs> How did you get the idea to do that in the first place? I would have never thought of that. Someone told me that once. Like, I had gone to like some friends' houses who had CDJs and like practiced there, but like, I'm not really trying to impose on like their space or anything. So I heard that Guitar Center just kind of had all the the CDJs and the XDJs and everything lined up, and just gave it a shot. And like, the guy was super cool about it. So like, I just went back, and I'll probably keep doing that. Like, as I come out with like new set lists and new music. <laughs> nice. I like that. I like that. That's a good method. So. When you play, do you play only your own music? I try to do the majority of my music, just because like, I know... It, it's, it's weird, because I feel like people get into all these arguments about DJing, that like you're supposed to like feel the vibe and uh, like really follow the crowd and really like kind of mix between showing them new stuff and giving them what they want and whatever. But when, as a producer, it's really a whole new... Um, I don't know, it's, it's really all different, like... Because there's stuff that you want to curate like very specifically. Like there's maybe like a, a journey that you like very specifically want to run through these tracks in this order because you want to showcase this material and like have that kind of um, uh, timeline. So I, I try to play the majority of my stuff, but like I'll throw in some stuff here and there that's not. Right, right. Do you find? Yeah, I mean, I think as a producer you know, you're on both sides where you're, you're the DJ who's there to like please the crowd to a certain degree or introduce new music to the crowd. But then as a producer, you have fans who expect and want to hear you play your own music because that is exciting. Yes. So, yeah. but you know, it's, I think it's a double-edged sword sometimes because I know sometimes I just get sick of playing my own music. I want to play a lot of new stuff that I hear that I'm inspired by. And like, to me, my stuff is just, you know, after a while, it's like, how many times going to play it? Yeah, that's true. I, I'm really active in terms of like producing new stuff. So like I have new songs, like probably every week or 10 days or so. So like, I just want to, I, I want to listen to more music. Like that's like one of my resolutions when January rolls around, just to like be more aware of what's going on. But like I'd rather like go even further and like start performing live and do like solely my stuff just because I don't really like appeasing people that much. Right. You just want to get up there and be like an artist producer and be like, this is this is my music. Yeah, yeah. Like there's like a certain vision, there's a sounds that I'm trying to convey. And sometimes like if I hear someone's stuff, like I really like A Glory these days. And you like, really like who? Uh A Glory. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so like I'll throw in like an A Glory song or something because I feel that's like compatible with like what I want to express. But for the most part, like I'd rather just do my stuff. Yeah, sure. So did you write um, like 30 or 40 songs before you put out that EP? Did you take that guy's advice? Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it was more like 25 or 26. But um, yeah, it, it worked out well. There were a lot of songs that I thought should have made the cut, but... It just got narrowed down really hard, and then sometimes things like just don't get released, and now they're just like in the folder. But that's okay. 
it's all just like stepping stones to getting better. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to have that stuff in your back pocket. You can put it out like B-sides or whatever. Or do those releases you were just talking about. You know, you don't need to do one a week to boost your SoundCloud. You can still, I think it's just as strong to do one a month or one every few months. If the track is really good, it'll get lots of uh, attention. Yeah, yeah, I'm super down. I'm trying to figure out a good, um, a good middle ground on what is like, like how much you can release without like diluting stuff or without um, letting too much time elapse between releases. Like I feel like if you drop something every like three months or four months, like that seems good. Like still like maybe a little more um, austere, but like reasonable. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to hear you talk about that because I think the whole world has just totally changed with in that regard, especially in the electronic world where. Um, there's not really an album culture, you know, it's just like track to track. Yeah, it's so weird because like I really don't like that. I prefer like EPs and albums much more just because like hearing the songs like in context with the other songs, like I feel like you get a much better grasp of like the vision of the artist in question. And like when you hear a single, like it's fun, but I don't really, it's hard to really hear like who they are. Yeah. Sure. Well, it's just, you just get that one little taste. Yeah. Yeah, like, I like it. It's like a single, and then it's from an album, and they'll release the album later or something. Sure. But yeah, it's, it's I you know, electronic music particularly, everything's so, like, yeah, just like a track here, a track there. Who do you think is out there pushing boundaries the way you, you know, you'd like to see be, them being pushed? I really like, um, have you heard of a duo called X and G? XMG, like X uh, ampersand G. No, I haven't. They're extremely good. I just collaborated with them recently. Like um, they're like doing a lot of really crazy fusion of genre stuff. Um, a Glory, of course. Uh, I'm a big fan of Evian Christ, and like seeing him get signed to Warp was like a really big deal because I think he's going to be legendary in time. Uh, also, Potter Elvinger. I'm working with him on a bunch of stuff right now, and he is amazing. Like, he just did the, uh, what is it, the music for Versace's newest line, and he did some stuff for Louis Vuitton. Like, he just makes, like, really out-there pop music. Cool. How do you describe your music to people when they, you know, ask you what kind of music you make? I usually just say experimental club because it's nice and abstract and people don't ask questions. <laughs> ah, wow. That, I hadn't heard that. Uh, that's a good one, actually. That's a really good one. Experimental club. I might use that one. Yeah, it's like it sounds like highbrow and people don't <laughs> really like get into it. <laughs> it does sound really highbrow. It sounds, but it sounds obviously because you got the experimental and then you got the club in there. So it's like, oh. It's like bringing it back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like anyone can get into it. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like a little experimental. Yeah, yeah. Like I my fundamental goal at least currently is um making stuff that has a lot of movement and like a lot of momentum and that people can kind of like get locked into that. And so like anything clubby, I'm definitely a fan of and that's where a lot of my uh work has uh kind of resided stylistically. So it's just like a good um catch all to tag on there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel a lot of ways what defines that clubby sound is the builds and the way that the music is structured as like a build, drop, build, drop, 
scenario. Like every track has that has that pattern and you know that sort of defines it. Do you try to change that pattern or do you feel like that's the pattern you like to work in but then you will mix around with genres and sounds and things? Uh, for club music I've been becoming more of a fan of just uh, definitely like being dynamic in terms of like energy ebbing and flowing but uh, trying to extend the pacing a little more and also um, constantly reversing expectations like I love it when a song will like kind of be building up for 16 bars or something and then it'll break and do like an 8 bar of like an alternate kind of builds and just like keeping it and then like when it drops and as soon as it drops like something is filtering in in the track so like really I prefer things when they're always building so I think really it's like the sense of anticipation that like keeps people moving and dancing, like at least in the like the EDM crowd. Because like it's I saw Steve Duda post this really funny tweet about like how this crowd in Chicago or something was getting post-drop depression. Like every like as soon as something <laughs> like hit, like four bars later, they all just stop and they're bored. <laughs> yeah, totally. I've seen that happen. Yeah, it's crazy. Post-drop like, depression. That's like a real thing. Yeah, I I don't really understand. I mean, I get it, because it's like Songs, I, I feel like everyone has a tendency to try to like be like building, 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 and then drop and hit like 110% and just be like as lit as possible. But I prefer it a lot more when songs kind of like build up and it's like going up to 90, and then all of a sudden, just the smoothest like roll into the drop and it like go, it dips in energy a little bit. Like it'll get like rhythmic, like more like techno music where it'll like dip in energy, but it'll, the sub will come in and it just starts rolling. And then it's like you feel the groove. And it's less about like all of a sudden just jumping up and like losing your shit for 10 seconds and more like building that energy into the next song and building that energy into the next song and like continuing this like very gradual, very like incremental upward trajectory. Yeah, I would say that's a very techno thing for sure where it's, it's not about the drop isn't like this explosion where everyone's head's supposed to explode. It's like you said, it's like you're ramping up and you're ramping up and you're ramping up and it it's like you always kind of maintain a certain level of energy it's not like it's up and down like uh, yes yeah yeah like you're not going like zero to 60 and back again like huge drop and then all of a sudden no drums for a minute and just like a vocal and then do it all again that a hundred times <laughs> exactly it's exactly like you, you know the exact like the 16 bars and then the four bar break and the vocal for 16 and the build for 16 and the drop for 16 and 24 and then literally just repeat over and over and over again like i don't know how people are still psyched for that well i think i think you know there is some post-drop depression going on out there i think for you to be you know challenging the formula there is a good thing because I think there's been an insurgence of new blood into the whole EDM scene and they're getting to the point where they've kind of figured out the very simple tricks of the of the genre so now they're like give me something more than just a build and a drop you know yeah yeah I mean I think or at least personally like when I go to a club it's like I go because I want to dance and I want to hear music that makes me dance and like jumping for 10 seconds and then like having to actually stop like as the track resets for another like minute, that just doesn't really do it for me. So like I still want to hear stuff that's hype for sure, like definitely some hands up, some jumping, whatever, but like just want more of continuity and less like just more, I don't know, having the pacing just be a little more mature. Sure. All right. So your name is pronounced Mado. Yes. And where does that come from? Uh, I was reading a book by Ford Maddox Ford that I really liked, and I liked his name, but Maddox is just too common. 
So I respelled it, and then when I changed the spelling, the pronunciation changed. I get it. Cool. So, Mado, you're on SoundCloud, Twitter. You're really active on Twitter, actually. I was checking out. You're on there, um, like, many times a day, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I used to not be super into it, but then, like, as I made more friends who are on Twitter, it's kind of just like being on Facebook, but just sort of shorter and more concise. Yeah, and you just have, like, little communications going on with people and things like that. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. Great. And you have any L.A. shows coming up? Yeah, I'm, um, let's see, I'm playing Create uh, with Swander on uh, October 16th, and then um, Avalon with Hermitude on November 13th. Great. Excellent. Well, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks, Andrew. For sure. All right, keep listening, everybody. We're going to play two tracks off Mado's new EP entitled New Wave. First, we'll hear Kill For Me and then New Wave.
All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to Live and Direct. We have got plenty more interviews coming to you. Keep listening to Adobe Radio. This is Craddy signing off. <laughs>